Here's Chavinko. Lovely ball through towards Altidore. Altidore! Toronto FC's big acquisitions combine to tie the game. Josie Altidore. The Two Solid Dude Soccer Podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. The award-winning soccer podcast that covers every single aspect of Canadian soccer. And now, without further ado, here's Dwayne Rollins. And welcome to the Two Solitudes Podcast, a post-CBA Two Solitudes Podcast, a start of a new MLS season podcast, and a top of the league. Do you know who's top of the league, Kevin? Well, it's the Seattle Sounders, but you know who's almost top of the league, Kevin? Altidore? Yeah, well, Altidore's doing pretty good. I think there's a team in red that uh, that uh, certainly uh, gave a bit of a message to those who want to talk about philosophies and all sorts of... Oh, yeah, the, the Red Bulls played well. You're right. The yeah. Red Bulls did a good game. Yeah, Toronto FC scored three goals. They won 3-1 over their, over their Canadian rivals. <laughs> their arch rivals. You know? And anyway, we're going to talk about that in the final segment. Uh, a bit more in the interview, too, because we have Daniel Squizzato live from a boat. We're not even kidding. He's on a boat when we interviewed him. Uh, you've got some ambient sound to... This delightful ambient sound in there. Uh, Daniel talked about what it was like to be at uh, BC Place as a TFC supporter. Uh, he talked about uh, the U17s. He talked a lot about the Whitecaps too. You know Daniel. If you've listened to us long enough, you understand uh, Daniel's style and what he brings to the table. And he brought it to the table from a boat, Kevin, and that's awesome. So why don't, before we go too further ado, uh, we'll bring Daniel on and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, about some fundraising efforts that we're having here at the Two Sawtooths. Sorry, guys, we need to make sure you hear that. And uh, then we're going to uh, go into some CBA talk. We'll have some review talk and lots of good stuff as well. But before we do that, Kevin, let's bring Daniel on. On a boat! And welcome back to the Two Solitudes Podcast. Joining us from a, uh, where are you, Daniel? You're like in the middle of the Pacific Ocean or something there? Uh, partially. I'm, well. <laughs> we, we don't kid ourselves in this show when we go around. Yes, uh, Daniel is. Uh, yeah, yeah that, that, that sound there was uh, the horn that they're blowing on this ferry boat to help mitigate the heavy fog that has befallen us. So we've got, yeah. I've, I've brought a lot of West Coast ambiance with me to the show today. Yes, although here in Toronto, we are unconvinced that uh, Daniel is not just living in the basement of a famous bar here. Uh, at any rate, uh, so he's blowing a horn, I guess. But at any rate, we move on. Uh, we had Daniel on because we wanted to talk about a couple things. Daniel was uh, one of the traveling support uh, for uh, TFC on the weekend. Uh, and he also uh, covers the you know Canadian national teams for uh, MLS soccer. So we thought we'd talk to him about the U-17s. Uh, Daniel, that's, we, we don't have much time with you because... You got to get off the boat soon, but uh, we'll uh, we'll start with uh, with the game on Saturday. What was it like to be there as a as the enemy? Well, it was a bit strange. I mean, I've uh, I've it's not my first experience wearing red and going into a stadium being completely overwhelmed. I mean, I am a Canada supporter after all, so I've had <laughs> plenty of experience walking into Canadian stadiums and being vastly outnumbered, having people swear and throw throw things at me, but. Uh, but in this case, I, I felt I could do it in good conscience, and I felt they were in the right place. It was their city. We were the we were the interlopers. So um, it was a, it was a fun experience. A group of probably about fifty to seventy five, making up the TFC supporter section. Former mayor David Miller among them. Uh, I'm glad that if there was a former mayor in that section, <laughs> it was him and not another former mayor. Uh, actually, our the other former mayor is probably not allowed to leave the province. So. Anyway. Um, but, uh, but, but, yeah, I mean, the game itself was pleasantly surprising. I mean, it took, a, took, a, took about 45 minutes for TFC to get their legs under them, but once uh, Sebastian Javinko got going and uh, once uh, Josie Altador showed what he could do, um, I, felt, I found... There it is again. I, uh, I, I found this funny, dangerous little feeling creeping into the space between my rib cage, which was hope, which is completely <laughs> stupid of me because this is the ninth year in a row I've done this and probably the ninth year in a row that I'm going to be huddled in a pool of tears in about six months' time. But as for right now, it was a very encouraging way to start the season for uh, for Toronto and made the trip worth it for those of us who were uh, in attendance at BC Place. And I don't know if you can hear the ambient Toronto sound I have going on behind me. There's sirens here in East York, but at any rate... Um Daniel, oh, that's something new. 
<laughs> East York's lovely. Uh, and I don't listen to what your problem with David Crombie is. He's a, he's a nice guy. Uh, I've met David Crombie, former Toronto mayor. And uh, oh, you're talking? Of, never mind. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure Kevin is just enthralled by this discussion of <laughs> Toronto's civic political history. Oh, I, I just bought some new, a new tie on eBay last week. Oh, that new tie, did you? <laughs> yeah. Oh God, you paid five grand for the tie. All right. Oh, that's <laughs> five grand. Yeah. So yeah, you can have to get the credit card maxed out. Um, Daniel, uh, yeah, you mentioned that's gonna be serious here for a half second, if that's possible. Although I look forward to the next horn. Um, you mentioned the, the Toronto's big name guys, but let's talk a bit about Vancouver. Uh, a lot of people were disappointed in how they didn't really react to Toronto's tactical change in the second half. From your perspective in the stadium, now, albeit you were partisan there, but uh, you know what, what did Vancouver do well? What did they do not so well, in your opinion? Uh, well, I mean, in the first half, I mean, as, as has been said and written, they were uh, essentially destroying the right side of Toronto's defense uh, with, with some of those long balls, many of which were, were just... And absolutely uh, beautiful. It was funny. There was a, uh, you know, a, a collection of, of white proper Englishmen, you know, seated near me, and you would hear them, uh, you know, as as they are wont to do, uh, you know, trying to take a bit of the take a bit of the pit out of the game they were watching. You know, and every uh, so every you know every play was oh that was shocking that was awful. But then you know every little while they. Oh, was a masterful pass. Like they, they had to. They had no choice. Even though they were there to rip apart what they were seeing, they they kind of had to admit, oh, that was that was quite a quite a ball by Morales, quite a play by Lava. So honestly, as I was telling the you know uh, uh, disconsolate Vancouver fans who I encountered after the game, that uh, that if the team that showed up in those first forty five minutes can uh, can get it all together, I mean, if they can you know, ping those long balls and take advantage of, of the speed of the guys they have up front, guys like Mane and, and Maddox, who we didn't see until later in the second half. But, uh, but uh, you know, they, they, they've got some potential there. Now, you know, the counterpoint is that, you know, Toronto with a relatively inexperienced manager and Greg Vanny was able to shift tactics and shut them down in the second half. So maybe they've been exposed, and that was the best half of soccer they'll play all season. Uh, for the sake of the sanity of the folks out here, I hope that's not the case. But, um, but yeah, I mean, as, as we always know, one game is far, far, far too early to make any grand proclamations about, about anything other than the fact Toronto will make the playoffs. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see uh, which, which Vancouver team shows up in, uh, in, in their next few games. How did Otavio Rivera look for Vancouver? We know he scored his a goal 19 minutes in his debut after missing a sitter, but how did he look after that sitter? Well, I mean, I was going to say, about eight minutes in, he looked like, you know, looked like me <laughs> trying to finish out there. Or, uh, uh, I mean, that, I have, that, that shot was harder to, to, to miss than to score. I figured he must have been off. So anyway, I won't get into it. Everyone's seen the replays, but... Uh, but uh, uh, one thing I will say is it, it was um, it was neat to see. <laughs> I just gave you a great description. It all got censored, though. Um, <laughs> it was neat to see the passion that he had after scoring that goal, uh, uh, because you're never quite sure how players um, are going to react when they're new in the when in a new setting, when they're in a new uh, city, new country, new league. And, uh, and, and I think it's, and he, he, uh, you know, he had a little bit of zip in his game. I mean, it's, it's good to see players coming from, and I think all, I'm thinking also of, uh, Kendall Watson, another Whitecaps player, uh, who, who came into a new situation, came into MLS last season, and, and he bought in right away and said, you know, I'm going to give what I have for this team. So I like the way Rivera looked, other than the, uh, the misfitter, of course. And, uh, and I think it's really, uh, it's encouraging to see teams bringing in uh, these younger guys as as their designated players. I mean, you know, to go back to the Toronto FC side of things, because given how much I'm talking about the Whitecaps, people might get the wrong idea. But going back to the Toronto FC side of things, uh, you know, despite the fact that Josie Altidore is already a you know a household name in Nor- in, in North America, you got to remember he's still only 25 years old. Uh, you know, Javinko's 28. So seeing teams bringing in these, these younger guys, these guys in their mid or even early twenties, who are buying into uh, into what's happening, it's it's, it's encouraging to see, and it's only going to help the uh, uh, the growth and, and the increased quality that we see in the league. 
How surprised were you by the link of play between Javinko and Altidore for their first competitive game together? Oh, I, I, I just, I, I found myself repeating the words tasty and sexy over and over <laughs> and over uh, while, while watching the game, which made people give me maybe a, you know, a bit of a raised eyebrow. But uh, yeah, just Sebastian Javinko took about maybe 20 minutes to get settled in. Uh, and then once he did, you, you, you saw what he's capable of doing. Uh, when when he got the ball at his feet, they had a bit of strange tactics at the beginning, trying to give him some long balls. You know, despite having Watson and Pamuka who come in at a combined you know 13 feet tall and 800 pounds between them, so I don't know why they were expecting Javinko to win headers against those guys. But once he had the ball at his feet and and had some uh, had some momentum and had some space to work, I think uh, I think it's really going to be uh, fun to see what he can do, not just linking up. Uh, with Altidore, but uh, but linking up with uh, a young Canadian uh, Jonathan Osorio in uh, in the midfield for for Toronto this year. But uh, yeah, it was a it was it was a treat to to, to watch him live, and um, he he really is you know um, not not a large guy. You know, they call me Atomic Ant for not for nothing. But uh, but hey, as we've seen in this league with another departed TFC player who I won't name, dudes who are five feet five can can make things happen. Heck, Lionel Messi's pretty small himself, and he's all right, isn't he? He's all right. I've heard, I've heard that story. Okay, Daniel, I know you're tight, so uh, we'll just a real quick question on the uh, Canadian U17s, which are quietly having a nice little tournament, although it could all go sideways in one game. Uh, just what is your from afar general observation about that team, and, and can we convert some of those players into a actual, you know, pros moving forward? Well, I mean, that's always that's always the the uh, the missing link in Canadian soccer, of course. I mean, you look at the U-17s who uh, have now qualified, or sorry, they haven't qualified yet, but they qualified for the last two under-17 World Cups and are looking in pretty decent shape to to make this one uh, as compared to the under-20s who haven't qualified for their U-20 World Cups uh, since 2005. And and that's the key That's the key moment right there is, is um, getting those players from being promising 15, 17-year-olds, and getting them into uh, professional uh, setups. Uh, you look at the best example is some of the two of the players that have been doing quite well for the Canadian team at this tournament. Uh, one is Dwayne Ewart, who uh, has three goals in four games now, and uh, Johnny Balutaba, who uh, has scored his first goal of the tournament against, uh, uh, against St. Lucia last night and uh, has been playing solidly uh, prior to that. Both of them are in the setups of one of our favorite Canadian theater clubs, which is unattached FC. Mm. So, you know, that's why it's tough to necessarily translate tournaments like this. You know, if, if, if uh, the performance of those guys can get them into professional settings where they'll be allowed to grow and develop, whether those settings are Canadian or American or foreign or whatever the case may be, uh, then we can maybe look ahead. But honestly, with the U-17s, and Dwayne, you've said this as well, it, it's, always, uh, it's always tricky to... Uh, project success forward from the U-17 level. So honestly, at this point, I would say we should, you know, in, enjoy this ride and enjoy uh, whatever success this team is uh, is able to have and, uh, you know, not not worry too intently about what it necessarily means for for the future because I think we're all, we're all looking for, you know, we're all looking for the saviors. We're all looking for, okay, when are we going to get – that one player, those two players, those five players that are going to turn our fate around for the men's national team. But, uh, you know, we can't hang our entire hopes on this group of U-17. So, as I said, they're having a good run. You know, we could see them in the, in the U-17 World Cup uh, this October. And then we could maybe see a few of them on the Canadian men's national team in the years ahead. But, uh, but it's really, oh, geez, I'll say the same thing uh, that, that we could say about the MLS season, which is, it's a bit early to tell at this point. <laughs> Daniel Squizzato, he's on a boat. I'm on a boat. Never thought I'd be on a boat. There you go. All right, Daniel, thanks for joining us. All right, thanks, gentlemen. Take care. You're listening to the Two Solitude Sucker Podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramay. You can reach the guys on Twitter at 24th Minute and at Kev Laramay. Email to solitudespodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to the show on Stitcher, iTunes, Feedburner, Pod Bay Player. Yeah, listen to the show. 
Now listen to us flow. Yeah, now the hospitality. That's how we do. Now back to the show. And welcome back. And thanks again to Daniel for taking some time. He, uh, you know, he took some, he was busy. He was doing something this morning and he, he squeezed us in even though he was uh, in the middle of an ocean or something. So uh, we, we did enjoy the horn though. That was my favorite part of that interview. Was, was that your favorite part, Kevin? When we first called him just before we played the record, the, the horn just started before you even said it. It's like we both lost it and it was amazing. Just a great, great moment. I think we should get more more air horns on this broadcast. It's great. Anyway, all right. Uh, we're going to have a serious conversation real quickly before we get into the meat of the podcast. And, and look, no one likes to to ask for, for money. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you kind of have to in this world because there are costs and, and certain things associated with doing this that, that I don't think everyone understands, both time and money-wise. Um, this takes a lot longer than the 45 minutes to an hour that you listen to every day on your on your devices. Uh, you know, I have to book the guests. I have to write the lineup. Uh, Kevin has to do the editing. Uh, we have to, you know, work out things on the phone over and over and beyond that. Uh, a lot of texting and things like that. So that's just the time aspect. And then you have bandwidth costs. I can't speak today. Uh, you have lots of things attached to that. That just it's in equipment, microphones. And you know, I've already upgraded the microphones here here once, thanks to some help from Kevin. So uh, we, uh, you know, there's there's lots of costs associated from this. So. To address that and to um, allow you the opportunity, the listener, to try and make us better in terms of how what we're providing you. We're going to try and give you more, more broadcasts a week, maybe some add-on stuff, maybe even some more writing stuff. Uh, we have decided to do something, and I'm going to let Kevin jump in now and explain exactly what we're doing uh, to try and increase and promote and get this podcast and Five Rings to a different level. With the growth of the show in the last couple of months, more listeners are listening, and that means more bandwidth, more costs associated with the show. We're not here asking for $100 for you all the time. What we would like is just for you to give if it's possible, if you can. Give what you can per month, and the way to do it is with Patreon. Patreon is a service that allows you to become a patron of your favorite artist or your favorite content provider. And for that, just patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, slash Two Solitudes, Five Rings. And you become a patron of the Two Solitudes and Five Rings, me and Dwayne. And if you donate $10 a month, if you pledge to support us for $10 a month, there's a lot of rewards included in this. And as it says on the website, and a little as a little surprise for everyone, it's probably the biggest rewards in the history of rewards, Dwayne. <laughs> the biggest rewards in the history of rewards. Yeah, I think so. I think that there are no bigger rewards. Um, you know, as an added thing to that, uh, in the past, for many years, I wrote a column called Sober Second Thoughts after every TFC game, uh, before many CFC games as well. Uh, you know, it was a column. It was a, a thing that people enjoyed on CSN. I had to discontinue that simply for time reasons. Uh, there were other things that I needed to do that were making it harder and harder for me to get that out in a time that made me comfortable. So I ultimately had to scrap it. And so what I've said uh, above and beyond, and I put this out on Twitter, is that if we get a total donation of uh, more than $100 a month, and that's not just you, that's like everyone together to support the podcast and our endeavors that I will uh, start that back up uh, attached to this podcast, attached to uh, Canadian Soccer News. So that's just one incentive I'm adding. Kevin and I, we, we'll get together and we'll figure out some more. I think that, um, you know, one of the, the really easy things if we, that we can do is if we hit a certain level, we'll uh, add a regular second second podcast a week on this. And I think that that's something that most people can appreciate even more than my column. So uh, we'll, we'll figure out what those levels are. But in the meantime, if you go to the sites, we'll get them out there on our social media, on our Facebook, on our Twitter. Uh, we'll make sure it's in the description of the podcast on iTunes if that's how you get it. And uh, we'll just if you could help us out, just a dollar a month is fine. Or if you can afford afford 50 cents a month if you can afford a bit more than obviously we appreciate that too but we're not going to say no but we're not going to ask you for it yeah <laughs> whatever you can do uh that's great and um a lot of people are familiar with this this service and there's a lot of great artists that are getting well supported there we're we're not asking to get rich we're just asking to cover our costs and to to allow us to justify the time it would require to uh to do a second show a week just so, an example of what we can do with those funds i'm in the works right now to actually planning a trip to costa rica to go cover the montreal impact on gap champions league game there well if we have enough support with patreon and all that I can get more support for the two solitudes. I can get 
better interviews, better, I can actually make it there, which is probably a good idea. So all those projects can become possible with your support. Videos, we already did some videos on our YouTube page. There is a subscribers only part of Patreon where we could do some radio shows, TV shows for you also. With your support, there's a lot of contact and you can get more in-depth coverage of the beautiful game in North America that seems to be lacking everywhere else. All right. And we'll also, of course, this is for Five Rings as well. We'll, we'll have a, a Five Rings specific uh, conversation uh, probably tomorrow when we do Five Rings. But uh, in the meantime, let's move on and let's get back uh, to some, some CBA conversations. We didn't wrap up the CBA uh, last week. Uh, we did a lot of shows last week. And when it wrapped up, I think there were a thousand different things out there. So we, uh, you know, we, we, we moved on. But uh, I did want to have a conversation now. We have some audio we're going to run, and uh, we, we thank TSN uh, Radio in Montreal gave us that audio. Yeah, correct? Joey yep. Altieri. So we do thank them for that. So we, um, we'll run that in a second. But uh, before we do that, Kevin, I thought I'd ask what your, what your thoughts are on the CBA as it, was, uh, as it was constructed and what we know of it for so far. Kind of a mixed feelings because I'm happy to be watching soccer, happy to be covering the MLS. What I'm, what I'm, kind of mixed feeling about is it, it seems like it's a missed opportunity for the players. They had leverage. They had some sort of power with the league. Wanted to start with all the new teams and new everything surrounding the 20th season, and the players had a little something of leverage. And like Wandre Lefebvre is going to say later on, it, it almost seems like a missed opportunity that they did not use that leverage properly but it's a democracy at the end of the day more players vote for us and against us uh, yeah absolutely and and i think before i come in with my two cents let's run that clip kevin um we'll listen to what they had to say and again thanks to tsn radio in montreal for providing that to us and uh, we'll run that we'll come back and we'll, we'll finish up the conversation and move on to the uh, on the pitch stuff so wandre lefebvre players union rep for the montreal impact with joey alfieri uh, Vandre, so obviously the uh, first issue at hand is uh, you were heavily involved, uh, one of the player reps for the CBA. Um, your thoughts on getting the deal done and what do you think of the uh, deal uh, the night after it's announced? Well, you know what, obviously as I, uh, I read on the social medias and everything, yeah, as a team, uh, Montreal, we, we disagree with the, with the proposition that was, uh, was on, the table, on the table yesterday, but, you know, we, we send our... Uh, we send our uh, our thought on the on that proposition then it's a vote it's democracy and uh, we respect it we have to move on it's uh, as bad as it is as we we, we think we we stick together we stuck together as a team and uh, and then then we we move on we have a game uh, as uh, as soon as uh, saturday and then champions league and everything so it's good for the fando was was free agency the big sticking point is that the main reason why you guys don't like it and i mean if, was there anything else that stood out for you guys the, I won't go too much in the detail, but there are three major uh, issues, free agency, minimum salary, and the evolution, and the salary cap, and the evolution again. I mean, in terms of free agency, obviously, I mean, this is the first time it's introduced in the league, so it's hard to hit a home run, but at the same time, it seems like eight years of service is a little bit, it's a little bit extreme, and you have to be 28. Yeah, uh, first, uh, I think that, as we as we used to say, Roma wasn't built in one day. So this is a big step. This is a step. I think we could, we we and we should have done a a, a bigger, even bigger step. Eight years of service is a lot in a league where most of the players uh, start their their career around 22, maybe 23. That means the, the the 28 years old is really rare. Not not a lot of player will be eligible at that age. Pretty much early 30s, maybe. So yeah, it's a step. I think uh, it's not a, a, a big, a big. Uh, how do you say? Uh, it's not a good step enough. But but anyway, like I said, we have to move on. I'm happy that as a team we stuck together to the end, and then uh, then that's it. You know. Was it um, unanimous as a team, or were you guys kind of split uh, for and against? No, it was uh, unanimous. Every from the DPs to the smallest guy, it was uh, it was unanimous. We were together. We we thought that by by sticking together, that was the best chance that we have. The strike was maybe was was a leverage for us, the best leverage that we had. At the same time, I don't want to penalize penalize the, the the fan for that. You know, it's not it's not what we wanted, but it was one of the, one of the leverage that we have. And uh, anyway, like I said, the deal is done. 
Roma wasn't built in one day. See you in five years, and maybe we'll be able to uh, to reach someone uh, something better. You know. I know you want to move on, but I mean, at the same time, you have to admit it's very difficult to sign the CBA, you know, officially on Thursday, maybe, and then have a game on Saturday, right? Yeah, it's not the best way to to prepare a game, uh, especially for us because we were uh, we were at the same time we were focused on uh, on the game that we had uh, Tuesday, emotional game, emotional ending. We served on the uh, on the bus also. That was the day uh, the day after. And at the same time, us uh, the reps, we had to uh, to focus on the on the CBA that was about to be uh, to be signed or not signed, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but this is our job. This is part of our job. It happens every, I don't know, five, six years. And we knew it was about to come. And we knew the last day before the, 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 the season was about to start. We knew that it was, uh, it, was to be, it was to be like this. So, you know, it's our job. We're professional and we're ready for a Saturday. Don't worry. I think you bring up an interesting point because people see the jump from the minimum salary going from 36.5 to 60,000 and they assume that that's where the players hit the home run but from what you're saying I mean that, that's not high enough essentially right? No that's not high enough it's pretty much the evolution we're not happy of the evolution because yeah there's a jump to be honest it's not uh, it's not true that it's from 36,000 to uh, 60,000 because there's two different uh, status on the player if you're a reserve player your salary will be 50,000 and if you're on the senior roster, your salary would be 60,000. So there is kind of two minimum, which leads to one minimum. The minimum is 50,000, not really 60,000. Then it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a big jump for one year. But then when you look at the evolution, it doesn't move that much then over the five years. That's where I was, uh, we as a team were a little bit uh, disappointed. But like I said, uh, it's not the only issue. Uh, also the salary cap, there is a... We, we gain, but we gain not that much over the five years. And free agency, yes, it's a step. It could have been better. The question I wanted to ask, a lot of fans, the one that they want to know about, the fourth designated player, did it ever come up? And has, was there any headway made in, in terms of that? Or is everything staying the same? No, as far as I know, it never came up in the, in the discussion. We were more worried about redistributing the, 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 the money, the financial economics aspect to, through all the players and not only bringing guys from outside the league. We, wanna, we wanted to reroid the player that built the league, not the player that are not in the league anymore or yet. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was important for us to reward all the players. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. And look, I mean, I, it's not my position, Kevin, or yours or any fans really to have uh, too strong of an opinion on whether they should have striked or not, struck or not, uh, because it's not our livelihood, it's not our risk at play. And I always tried to maintain that as much as in my mind, I kind of was cheering for them to force the issue because I too, too, truly do believe, can't speak today, I truly do believe that, that they needed to push the envelope a little bit more if they were going to take the game to a different level. And I'm not sure that that the progressive voices within MLS uh, got heard. And once again, those old conservative voices that are paranoid that the league is going to collapse, is going to fold if they don't keep costs insanely in line, um, they won the day again. Uh, I think that the biggest disappointment with this has to be the salary cap. Mm-hmm. Everyone was expecting a minimum of up to $5 million. Unfortunately, we won't even get to $5 million before the end of the contract in five years. That maybe was the only good thing is it was maintained to five years because the owners wanted it to go to eight. So the cap, for those that don't know, and I put it out on my Twitter if you want to scroll back for it, and I'll try and find those numbers again later and tweet them back out. But it, it will get up to it's like $4.9 million in the final year of the CBA. That's just not enough. It's not enough if you're true. If you believe the rhetoric, and I guess this is where I go from here, Kevin. It's time to not even give them. It's not even a joke anymore. That that rhetoric is just it's it's stupidity if they believe it at all. Because there's no way on earth that MLS can become quote unquote one of the top leagues in the world by 2022 if they're going to pay players 4.9 million dollars for the entire roster minus the DPs. That's just it's ridiculous. It's it beggars belief, right? I think you just put the nail on the head it's artificially possible if you put more dps then those money that money's not against the cap what if by 2022 there's six dps per team then the cap doesn't have to be really higher to accommodate those players so it's like artificially boosted and i think that's i think that's wrong because i think 
the most amount of players should get the most amount of money and not the other way around. And if there's more DPs, that's always going to be. But the one thing I'm really happy coming out of this uh, little interview, we just listened to it again, thanks to Joey Alfieri, is the fact that Wendry Lefebvre says, in our team, included, from top to bottom, every single player was united, from the DPs to the academy players. They were all in agreement that for the future of the game, they need to at least look at the things and more question it. And that's the one point that's important. Some of the people in Montreal, like you said, are maybe more aware of the whole labor situation and maybe ask more questions. And that's why they had the position they had. At the end of the day, like I said, I don't, we don't want to start uh, any controversy here. They, had, they agree with the decision in it because it's a democracy and they voted against it, but they didn't win the vote. And it's a democracy, so they still agree with the decision. But like I was just going to say, it's important to realize that the most amount of players need the most amount of money. And it's not the case if you include DP Twain. Yeah, look, there's what I've heard too. Well, it's, it's not even a, a secret here. Is that the DPs and the DP rule and all those uh, cap exemption stuff that isn't CBA related. That's league rules and regulations and transactions related. So the league can they usually work with the players union a little bit on these issues, but the league can change those rules. They can add DP slots. Uh, they can change how DP slots affect the cap without going through a CBA negotiation. And that's what I, has been suggested to me. What's been suggested to a lot of people out there is that's kind of the league's plan. Uh, their thinking is that they can uh, increase the level of the league by bringing in greater stars. Now, my issue with this is, and it comes down to the, what's the other, the, the negative thing you always hear about MLS is it's quote unquote a retirement league. I have always maintained as much as that MLS fans and some MLS executives will push back against that label. I, I don't think that they actually really care about that label. I think they, they, I, they on some level strategically want to be a retirement league. They want big names to come when they're 29, 30. They want to come in a little earlier than 38, 39, but they're okay with guys coming in 30, their early 30s because they, they want that star power. I think that that's what they really – if you look into their business model, that's what it is. I think they're not they're not dumb. They understand that the idea that they can supersede the Premier League or Syria or La Liga or Bundesliga in talent level by twenty twenty two is is patently absurd. Like it's it's there's just it beggars belief, like I said, but what they can do is that on a marketing level, they can maybe catch up a little bit more and become a, a richer league, a more profitable league, a better business league. And that's not very exciting from a fan perspective because we all want the level of the game to grow. But that, I think that ultimately is the business model, is that they think that they, they can supplement, maybe add a fourth, maybe even a fifth eventually and have – some bigger names that come in here and then, you know, they sort of pat everyone on the head with the development side of things by spending more money on the academy and the teams that want to spend money on academy players. And that's great because they could ultimately sell those guys on too. Mm-hmm. you know, sure. Yedlin, uh, even Danielle Henry to a certain extent here, although he's not getting anywhere near the hype in the U.S. and we don't understand why that is. But at any uh, it's Canadian. Yes, but but Yedlin is is obviously the poster boy for that. That they they like that side of it too. So they enjoy their academy kids when they you know the one every few years gets sold on to a Premier League team or makes the national team in the U.S. and does does well. Then that's, a, that's another feather in the cap. But by and large, it's, it's really just it's all marketing. MLS is a marketing league in a lot of levels, and you know on the local level. We can appreciate it and enjoy it for what it is. For It's a day out at the park. It's our home team to cheer for. But when you start getting into these league issues, it becomes really depressing sometimes to support this league because ultimately everything they do betrays what they say. They, they, they don't really want to do what's needed to become a top league. They want to do what's needed to be perceived as a league worth supporting. What's the expression? Perception is reality? Yeah. To terror you know, watch what I do, don't listen to what I say or something, right? Like that's... Yeah, it's a say what I say, not what I do. Yeah. Or something like that, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we're mixing our analogies up. But uh, I thought, uh, last note on this is interesting. I was watching the Orlando City uh, NYCFC game. Uh, Which is the epitome of the old negotiations, in my opinion. Yeah. Just I, that I would, game, that whole game. 
as everything was about getting to that game so they could get yeah. 60,000 people there at any rate. And, you know, it looked good crowd and it looked like everyone had a fun day out there. And it was an absolute much nicer to watch the game there than it would have been here in Toronto. I'll tell you that that day. It was, <laughs> minus, much it was minus 20 or something outside that day. But at any rate, um, Don Garber was on at halftime with Taylor Twelman, and he said, you know, Taylor Twelman asked him, like, how the hell are you supposed to be top league in the world when you're paying players this little money? And Garber basically just said, magic. <laughs> it's going to be magic. He's going to make the academies and this. He didn't answer the question because there's no way to answer it. So that's, that's all agree right now, Kevin, that we are officially retiring the complete load of crap of MLS being a top league in the world by 2022. It's not going to be a top league in the world by 2022. We can only hope that maybe it's an, it's a league that can benefit us by 2022. And, um, you know, increasingly, I'm not sure about that, but that's a topic for a different day. Um, did you watch the Orlando NYCFC game, Kevin? I did watch most of it, yes. And what, what were your you, – you, you thought it was a decent game. I, I was a little more cynical about it, but uh, I'll get your perspective on that, and we'll, we'll talk about that a bit before we, uh, we move on and take a break and talk about the Canadian games. Maybe I got caught up in the, in the hype or some of the, the purple hype. I don't know. But I liked it, a little different aspect. It's something new, and it's something that you don't get to see often. Two new teams in a league with different looks, different players. Some new, some you don't know, some you do know. Some players you've seen play in, in different teams, all combined together because of their expansion. So, so for me, those type of games always have something interesting, something uh, something out of the ordinary, because you don't get to see that often. And see players like Kaká, Vila, uh, seeing players like Kale making his debut, like a notified debut, got straight red card but see all that together I thought it was fun to watch just because of the, the new factor yeah no it, the novelty of it yeah, for sure is, is interesting novelty. That, that was a, the best word that I couldn't find because you said you can't speak and I can't think <laughs> there you go um, look I I thought the quality on the pitch was a little bit lacking at times but that mm-hmm. that's to be understood these are two teams uh, that are expansion teams so their depth is not going to be nearly as there uh, you, you have players like you have Kaká, you have David Villa uh, that are out there, but uh, those guys, you know, they're they're not necessarily going to um, be linked up with their other players just yet. They're they're teams that are a month old, uh, which I thought it was hilarious where Orlando was singing to NYC, "You ain't got no history," which is you know Orlando City's been around for eight years or something, and some of that was in Austin, so it's kind of ironic, but at any rate. Um, Four years in Orlando. <laughs> yeah, so you know, there's your history. Um, <laughs> anyhow. Hey, but yeah, but you have to be cynical about those things. It's still four more than you know, I see. So, anyway. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> at any rate. But uh, they all have the same amount of MLS history at this particular point in time. So, um, but, it, uh, but that discreet goal, that mixed goal was uh, pretty good. Yeah, that was a very. I thought that might be the goal of the week, actually. Um, and that's you know, I, I the TFC Altador Gora goal I liked as well, but uh, that could have been partisan reasons. But there's a lot of nice to like about that. But no, the the mixed goal was 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 beautiful, curled in, um, kind of made the the ball off quiet there for a little while until Kaká got the uh, <laughs> the artistry off the blocking it off or yeah, blasting exactly. off the wall, <laughs> deflected into the corner. But at any rate. Anyway. Every highlight package of that goal, you never see the actual goal. You just see Kaká hit it, then his reaction running away with celebrating. You don't actually see the free kick hit the wall and then deflect. It you was don't so see ugly. Saunders sitting on the ground with his hands up going, my God, are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, I guess that's the other talking point from the game is Saunders whacking his head off the post and whether or not uh, the, the concussion protocol was followed there. And look, all I'm going to say on that is that we're not doctors, you know, so we don't know. We weren't there. Not Every time I fall and... In you know, every time I stub my toe, I don't break my toe, right? You know, sometimes when you hit your head, you don't get a concussion. So we're not there. That said, you would hope that the protocols were followed, and I guess that's really all we can say. Neither I, Kevin, you didn't go to medical school. No, I didn't. But I did have a couple of concussions before, though. Okay, so yeah, so we're we're qualified to to qualify to, to, to. And I know a lot of people out there are saying, "Oh, that's why." Yeah. That explains it. There you go. I think I've had about 50 concussions in my life. I have a. Oh, that's why. Yeah. Well, this explains an awful lot. There's a great story I can make on a better day with me when I was 10 years old, racing around my, my school and being knocked out cold for five minutes. And of course, this being, you know, back in the day, we just sort of suck it up. Let's go. Take it off. Take Don't it off. Cry. You're tough. Mike home. We're good. It's all good. Anyway, um, 
yeah, so let's hope Saunders didn't have a concussion there. That's all I really wanted to say on that. I, other games this week, you know, Seattle obviously was very impressive. LA was very impressive. Uh, you know, it's early days. It's a lot of sloppy play out there. That's the thing about MLS. It's the first six weeks of the seasons are almost extension of of uh, the preseason in a lot of ways because it's a playoff league and so many teams make the playoffs. Obviously, the, the goal to me in the first few weeks of an MLS season is just to not get get caught behind to not like get so buried like TFC did a couple years ago that you can't catch up because really it is a league about how you finish not how you start yeah don't get gapped don't have like a a 10 point gap already between you and the top if you want to make it somewhere in this league this year which is what happened to Montreal last year, what happened to Toronto in 2011. Uh, it's, it's all you really want to do is to, to be just getting a few points. So that's why, you know, we'll talk about the TFC game in a minute. Why it's so vital that that three points is, is huge because they're on that long road trip. And every point they get on that road trip is is bonus in a lot of ways because they just don't want to get buried at any rate. Um, anything else you want to say about the opening weekend before we take a break and come back and focus in on the Canadian teams, Kevin? An opening weekend of a MLS never crept up on me that quickly. With the whole CBA stuff, we had to shift gears between covering a work stoppage and covering a league in 24 hours. And it seemed like it started anticlimactically, except excepted with that Orlando game. It was hard for me to get you to the habit of just refocusing on, okay, where um, where do I get all my scores again? Where just because it started like so abruptly. But I think I got my gears on now. MLS Live and all that is back on. And I think I'm pretty much caught up. So, yeah, it was a, it was a really rough weekend. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're right. I mean, my my mindset was not, oh, the games are on. Like, I didn't write previews this year because I wasn't sure the season was starting. So It's basically every podcast. There's no preview this year. There's none. Yeah, then we had to talk about CBA right up to the last minute. So it's it, we're glad from a fan perspective that the, that CBA is dealt with and we can focus on the games and uh, hopefully the NASL season can add a little bit of value to us and the USL season starts really soon too. So a lot of football coming down the pipes. Can't wait to get going on it and we're going now. Let's take a quick break. Kevin, come back. We'll focus on the Canadian Review. The Canadian Review on the Two Solid Dudes Soccer Podcast. And we're back to our first Canadian review in how long, Kevin? Four and a half months or something. Yeah, it's been a long time. Nice to get back into those rhythms and those patterns. It makes uh, makes booking the podcast a little easier sometimes, but at any rate. Uh, we're going to start with the Montreal game. Uh, DC United, a 1-0 loss there, Kevin. Was it a bit of a hangover game, do you think? Yeah, but for, I think for the fans and not for the player. I think because of the fact that Montreal did a good result versus Pachuca and qualified for the semifinals of the CONCACAF Champions League, I think it upped the anticipation and the expectation of the first game of the season. And But like I said everywhere, like I said on this show, on from the back line, on the Daniel Feierstein show, Montreal is going to struggle the first couple of weeks. It just needs a couple of points before it gets its players to be used to each other, used to the league. When you have seven new starters out of your 11, that's what you need. And you just need to not get gapped, like we said in the first and the segment prior to this one. So Montreal, it was exactly what I was expecting. Piatti's struggling. He had a first offseason in 18 months, and it was expected he was going to have some struggles. We've seen this. So all was going to happen with Montreal, I was expecting. But did you see that pitch, Dwayne? Wow. A couple of, uh, literally hours before that game, there was still snow on that pitch. They just shoveled it off and played, and it was so horrible. And probably one of the reasons why Justin Mab got injured. I know it's an elbow, but the fact that he tripped, but the fact that he landed, and he couldn't absorb all the pressure of the fall on the f- uh, because of the condition of the pitch could explain why his elbow dislocated the way it did. And it's such, such a, because of a pitch and injury, such a bad reason to have an injury. Yeah, a huge loss, too. Do you, any any word on how long he'll be out? Right now, no. But usually I dislike weighted elbow. Like I, like we said earlier today, too, I haven't gone to medical school. <laughs> but usually I would, about a month, a month and a half. Because we have to remember, it's just how he can deal with the pain and how he can be confident that he's not going to injure it more playing. Because you don't use that part of your body in soccer. You, know, you do it for balance, but you don't use it. You know what I mean when you say how you don't use it. 
yeah, he can probably come back a little bit quicker. I did. I as well did not go to to medical school. I have. I think I have had a beer at a medical school before, though. So, <laughs> I so, think it actually counts. I think it's a yeah. credit. I think it's a credit. Yeah, I, I was. You know, back in the days when I used to go to parties at Queens, I think maybe I might have had. Maybe might even shared a beer with a medical student. So I think I am qualified uh, to 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 talk about this. Um. Yeah, like I don't know how long he can do. Like whether the uh, CCL semifinals is out of the question now. It'd be a huge loss. Obviously, we talk a lot about Justin Mapp on this show. Uh, how, what he mattered, what he means, part of me to the impact. Uh, yeah, it'd be tough, tough to go into that semifinal match without him. But uh, obviously, his long-term health has got to take priority, right? No, exactly. And if he brings something to the team that not a lot of players can bring. The fact that he's left-footed but can play on the right and use that left foot when he cuts back in and be a threat from long distance, from long to mid-distance. He's a threat, and keepers don't get to see those type of shots from that part of the field from a left foot quite often. And it did put things complicated. He was directly involved in one of the goals in Mexico with Diladuca scoring off his rebound. So so he can directly have an impact on the result of the Montreal impact, no pun intended, and hopefully he is able to play with pain and confident enough that he's not going to re-injure it by playing and come back on the on the pitch. But the pitch conditions in the rest of the league are going to be the same for the next couple of weeks. And you don't want him to fall again and re-injure it worse or injure another part of his body by falling because of bad conditions. Yeah, you, you, he falls the wrong way. He's out for a long time. I think you can come back a little bit quicker if it's the wing that's hurt rather than the than the leg, right? Because mm-hmm. you you don't have to kick with the with your arms. At least you shouldn't be using your arms anyway. <laughs> you but should, uh, you shouldn't kick people with your arms. That's not nice. No, that's it's called punching. Even is <laughs> what that is called. However, so we'll see though. Um, in terms of the game itself, to get back to that one, uh, as I said, he was like you know I was trying to be the the you know wise, older, uh, having seen it before guy when I was talking about the impact uh, success in the CCL earlier, having seen it here in Toronto, is that the MLS play and the CCL play are are different things. And uh, I think that that's the warning shot that maybe some impact fans, maybe some new impact fans, uh, uh, if any, they picked up with the win, uh, may have learned the other day. It it was an ugly game. Um, It was an ugly game. That's the only way to say it. But but, uh, you know, what do the Impact have to do this week to sort of regroup and, and get back at it? Piatti needs to find his marks. He needs to be able to take over a game. I was looking at some highlights yesterday, preparing the new intros for both this show and afterwards, where I was trying to get some the right highlights. So I've been looking at a lot of Piatti play from last season. And he, he just came out of San Lorenzo into MLS and without a hitch. He just picked up where he left off, started scoring goals and doing assists, just taking over games. And that's what he seems to be missing right now. Is maybe that confidence that you have when you've been playing for four, five, six months straight at a high level, that confidence in your play, that that knowledge that you know where your play are, you know what you can do exactly at that moment at every instant of a game. And he seems like he doesn't have that. He's trying... The best way to put it, Dwayne, he looks like a poker player who's a pro playing with newbies that raise him and call him whenever they want, and they're not supposed to do that. And he reacts like, hey, you're not supposed to do that. I'm supposed to be winning. You're not supposed to be doing this. That's how he looked playing against DC last weekend. Fair enough. But the game everyone's thinking of in Montreal right now has to be that semifinal matchup. If you Any word on, on what the ticket sales are or, or anything like that yet? 15,000 tickets sold. They started being uh, sold uh, Friday at noon. So in the weekend, there was uh, 15,000 sold. So there was a big hype Friday. Just Friday, there was 10,000 sold. Uh, but it seems with the loss, there was a little calming of that hype, hopefully with marketing and Let's mark history and get that quest for another moment. Move it's going to continue now. So I'm not worried. You should expect probably around 35, 40,000. I'm not going all crazy saying it's going to be 60. No. That's in the final if you bring Club America or Reggiano. Who knows? But uh, I expect 35, 40,000. If there's 40, there's more than last game. I'll be happy. It's an interesting challenge because you have months to sell the tickets for the quarterfinals yes. and and only a couple weeks to sell them for the semifinals. It's the same issue that MLS teams have in the first round of the playoff games. And I, you know, if if a Canadian team ever does get to host that play-in game, um, we might 
be a little less self-righteous when we see the small crowds in the States. It's tough to sell tickets that quickly, but at any rate, uh, that's a long ways off and um, lots to talk about before then. So hopefully, we get, we'll get well get a big crowd out in Montreal for that semifinal game. If Club America is playing in the final, I, you know, I think that you know, you might get some neutrals from people coming in from outside of Montreal that aren't necessarily impact fans to watch that one. A lot of Mexican too. A lot of Mexicans going to come out if we play. You thought there was a lot of Mexican at the stadium for Pachuca. Wait till club America comes, which is probably one of the most favorite club, a club with the most expats fan outside of Mexico. Uh, This club and a club like, uh, basically America. Yeah, Guadalajara, yeah. Yeah, Guadalajara and America are the two big clubs historically down there for sure. Yeah, I think the difference would be that uh, I don't want to judge who those folks were that were cheering for uh, Panchuca in in that game. I suspect many of them were just expats that wanted to cheer for a Mexican team. Yeah, well, they were wearing a Mexican national team jersey, so yeah. And we've seen that here in Toronto with uh, when you know a Guatemalan team or whatever comes in. You have a lot of people that are just Guatemalan that are just cheering for the homeland, even if they're not necessarily fans of that club team, which is not something I completely get. No, they've but, never heard of that team before. They've never heard of any player. They've never heard of the name of the team. But, hey, it's a team from my country. Why not cheer for them? Yeah, but if you get Club America up there, uh, you're going to get – fans of that club are going to make the trip up as well. So uh, it'd be an interesting time, but we're a long way off from that. Uh, there was another game this weekend, Kevin. Uh, do you recall who won that one? Uh, oh, good question. Good question. Oh, what could it be? Uh, well, Vancouver scored the first goal, so so I guess they, they hang on for the win. No, no. What happened is that the tactics got adjusted in uh, Toronto. Uh, just uh, look, we'll say that. Let's start with the first twenty minutes, which is all. And you, Vancouver folks, you can turn it off after we stop listening to talking about the first twenty minutes because I don't think there's much you're going to want to hear after that. Uh, Vancouver did come out. They were very excitable. They were very fast off the break. Uh, Toronto was playing naively again. Caldwell was shocking in the first twenty minutes. He completely was burned on that goal. Uh, just completely burned to that goal. It was a little terrifying to watch, actually. But, um, you know, there was that the sitter mixed. I've heard people say that, that Vancouver could, could have been up 3-0 after 20 minutes. I think that that's a lot of what it could have, should have. Yeah, I was going to say, could have, should have, uh, didn't. Yeah, there's also the, ignoring the fact that uh, Jovinko missed a pretty good chance in that first 20 minutes, too. So, you know, let's that, be honest here. It's, it doesn't matter how close, how many chances you miss, it's how many chances you bury. And, and Vancouver did get the one chance buried, which is the important thing. They got the lead. But what happened after that? It was almost like, and I was talking about this this morning when I rewatched the game, um, because why wouldn't you rewatch it twice? Because it was fun to watch twice at any rate. <laughs> it's, it's almost like that goal Vancouver scored for, from a Toronto perspective served as a timeout for TFC because there's the celebration and all that and they were able to sort of regroup and go back and go to the bench and and talk amongst themselves and settle themselves down because after that point I wouldn't say that it was immediately dominant to TFC I think the second half was TFC completely dominating uh, controlling the play in a lot of ways it's not to say Vancouver didn't get a few moments here and there in the second half but Toronto dictated how the game was being played in that second half. But for the rest of the first half, what happened was that Toronto dropped its line a little bit further back. They weren't getting as burned as much. Uh, they calmed the chances down, and they ended up working the goal, that brilliant goal, which went through six different players for TFC. Uh, Jonathan Osario was the under the uh, mm-hmm. underappreciated player in that buildup, too. He did a great job out there in the wing to, to get the ball into Jovenko, who then made the perfect pass in yeah. uh, to Altidore. And the finish was outstanding and that's you know that's a good sign if you're a TFC fan because I've said before and I've said in other places that the key to TFC season really is just how much form Altador can find I was, uh, I was uh, actually surprised by Altador's form having scored what one goal in 42 games with Sunderland then he comes first game scores twice alright second was a penalty but the first goal is basically but he, but he drew the penalty no true but the first goal it was just a service it was basically he had service and just instantly reacted he was with the ball in front of a couple of feet in front of the keeper by himself he knows what to do there that's what Altador needs to be doing and the fact that it happened in the first game before the chemistry or the automatic um, the chemistry between the players is there and so it really looks good for TFC unfortunately for uh, Montreal fans but it, it does look good for TFC just that because it's instinct it's not something planned and that when that happens at the beginning of the season can you wait before uh, Imagine 10 games from now when they're used to each other. Yeah, and look, this is why I I was, you know, as much as I joke 
and as much as people accuse me of, of being troll boy at times when it comes to this, I, you? I had, yeah, I was shutting my mouth a lot in the off season because I've been quietly confident that this team is is really quite good. Um, because I don't necessarily connect TFC of, of today to TFC of four years ago, and I've had this conversation a thousand times, so I'm not going to belabor it now, but I don't think you can equate them at all. I think that the team that's being built and the team that's on the pitch right now is absolutely built for success. I absolutely think they're going to finish second or third in the East, uh, maybe after the way New England started, and I can maybe even aim higher, but I, I do think they're going to be a top-half team in the East. I, I believe that. I don't believe that out of some naive supporter dome. I believe that out of like objectively looking at their talent. At any rate, and I think we saw that. I think we especially saw it from from Altidore scoring with that touch, with that ability and that wherewithal to both a drug to, to the way that he played around the keeper and scored from the tight angle on the first goal, and and this the way he used his body to force a penalty. And Vancouver fans, it was a penalty. It was every day of the week a penalty. He was dragged down from behind. Yeah, of course. And his, you know, there's a photo of his leg completely across Altidore's stomach. But there are a lot of Whitecaps fans that partisanship does funny things to your eyesight. So at any rate, um, tell that to the girl with the glasses behind the net. Uh, you know, we've <laughs> all been there, so it's all fine. Uh, you know that that was a great sign. But Javinko, wow, like wow, that's all you could say. This guy could be an MVP in this league. Absolutely, I tweeted that out the first second I saw it, and that wasn't a troll. That was me going, "Holy crap, this guy's good." He's the new Robbie Keaton, you think? Well, more of a um, GSB, more of a, a guy like that, like from the past. Like he's kind of a a, a guy that uh, that that's going to control the middle. He's a ten. He's playing number. He's wearing number ten on his back. Um, I know there are some people in the Italian community because apparently the number matters in the Italian community. Whatever, I get the traditional meaning of it, but that's that's be that's not be too much. It's a number, but anyway. Um, he just he played that playmaker role, and he's gonna he's playing a little bit higher up the field than I think a traditional ten would. He's not dropping back that far. Uh, but the other thing about Toronto too, you know, again we could talk about Javinka. We have a lot, and he's a very talented guy, and I think he's going to dominate here. I think as as long as his body can hold up, uh, then he should be fine. The thing about him too is, unlike other European guys that came without a break, he really did get a break because he wasn't playing very much for. For Juve. No, for the so, last six uh, months, he's been basically uh, not on the bench, but uh, just on the practice squad. He's just been training, so so this was a good opportunity for him. He's still gonna it's still gonna be an issue because he's been training all year. He's no break on that, but uh, certainly, and, you know, we saw they handled him a little bit. They they took him off at the end of the game uh, for Luke Moore there to a bit of a, a defensive uh, substitution. I suspect uh, that might have to do with uh, just keeping him and you know keeping him fresh too. So that's important. I bet Sheru to me was the absolute beast out there at times. Um, that's a guy that that is underspoken, and that's the difference between TFC now and TFC of the past in terms of this rebuild. Is they Sheru and, and Parquise? Those are two guys that came from well, well he was in the second division of Spain. Uh, Parquise was, but he had been playing uh, off and on in La Liga. And you have a guy from Ligon. That's those are high quality additions that aren't at the DP level that are absolutely making that that starting eleven amongst the best in the league. The question with TFC will be the depth. See how they hand out in the Gold Cup when the Americans are gone. Uh, these are all questions to be answered later on. But in terms of a start, you couldn't have asked for much more. Three points against oh. Vancouver, especially Vancouver with the whole narrative leading into this. The money bags FC and they're trying to fan the flames about how different philosophies and all that. Yeah, all the door to his goals. Oh. Yeah, if I was reading this Outsiders board before, and there's a lot of talk about, oh, we're going to show that fat American just two. Yeah, no, it didn't happen. <laughs> so, uh, j- Just to uh, continue on the point that you made of with Shiru and Perky, I-, I agree with you. It's 100%. And I think Laurent Simon is in the same vein as those ones. Even though people are clamoring, oh, he didn't play that good. He was burned with the penalty and all that. He is a dominant force in the defense. And I think it's the same type of player that's a Shiru and Perky are going to be for Toronto. Those, not superstar name, but players that played in great leagues in Europe and were able to be consistently, uh, defensively sound, consistently. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to turn to Vancouver, I guess we should we should focus a little bit more on there. You know, they're the same team with an addition up front, and the addition up front uh, got his goal, and. That was good, and I thought he looked decent. He's on my fantasy team, so I obviously value him a little bit, and I think he's going to get his goals. But I don't necessarily, as I said in the offseason, it's not that I think that Vancouver is worse than they are last year. They might be even a little bit better. I just question 
whether they're enough better to catch up, to keep up with the increased strength of the West. We saw what Seattle did on the weekend. We saw LA completely dominate the game. Uh, we've, we've seen Portland get a good result this weekend. We think they're going to be better. We've seen Kansas City look really good this weekend. Houston's there's, going to be decent too. There's a lot of strength in that West, and I just don't know whether staying put was the way to go. And they like to talk a lot in this buildup about the philosophies and the difference in philosophies. I think talking about their difference in philosophy between them and TFC is a, is a really polite way of saying they're cheap sometimes because Vancouver makes a lot of money, and maybe Whitecaps fans should be demanding a little bit more from the DP side of things and the Whitecaps. They're developing players, quote-unquote. I don't know what that means. It means they're buying younger players rather than older players, I guess, and developing players that are already developed because developing means academy. At any rate, there was only one academy player on the pitch that I saw, and he came from TFC Academy originally, but that's a different topic altogether. <laughs> um, I hope Russell has a good year. I like Tiber, but at any rate... <laughs> Look, I think Vancouver is going to be fine. They're going to get their wins. I just think they're going to be in that battle for that that middle five, six, seven that no. range all year. Oh, you're you're right, but it's not because, like you said, it's just the rest of the 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 landscape of the Western Conference change with the two new teams in the East, meaning that uh, Kansas City and Houston were going in the West, with Chivas being dissolved. So it all changed, and it wasn't just two teams. It was probably one of the top, two of the top four teams in the East that are traveling to the West now. So it, it just changed everything. You went from having one bad club to two clubs that can be better than you without you having to do nothing, change nothing in your roster. So they, yes, Otavio Rivero is a great addition. You can listen to it in a new intro. We, we think he's going to be big. He's like the big name addition. And he did score the 90th in the 19th minute, but he could have scored at the 8th. He could have scored at the 12th. could have scored at the 13th. A little lack of finish can probably cost him in the long run. Yeah, it's his first game. Yeah, first game in a new stadium on a new pitch with new fans. Yeah. But, but still, it, it will, we'll see. Uh, like I say, it's one game too. How big of a size of a uh, of a survey it is when it's just one game. You need to more data before I make judgment. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a game when, look, you know, Vancouver is obviously very pumped up for the game. They, You know, there there is sort of a... a money bags resentment that exists anywhere in the world not just here in Canada not just here in MLS but anywhere in the world when a team that spends a lot of money comes in everyone gets pumped up for that game so I get that um, but at the same time I think that people were also underestimating how important it was to the TFC players to, to prove a point out there because they hear the, they hear the chatter too they hear the ah it's TFC they'll screw it up again ah they're just a bunch of uh, they're just spending money they don't know what they're doing Like they, they were pumped up for that game too and it showed it was an excellent game um, yeah, it was. And if I've, I've listened to a few of the American-based uh, shows that have reviewed the first weekend, and a lot of them are highlighting the TFC Vancouver game as the best game of the weekend in terms of their overall entertainment level. So we were kind of lucky up here. Um, the last thing I want to say before this, before the game, there was a lot of talk from the Vancouver side of things about how it was going to be, quote-unquote, an excuse for TFC fans to complain about the pitch. Now that TFC ha- has won that game, can I complain about the pitch? Go ahead. The pitch was terrible. It's an embarrassment. They need to fix that now. <laughs> well, anyway, what? it is going to be fixed in what uh, two months from now. Yeah, it that is not okay, and that probably sp- plays a role in the fact that Vancouver can't attract high end DP talent. So, speaking of pitch, did you see Seattle's pitch? Yeah, well, there's no good either. And then Seattle is talking about about building their own stadium here. And I, I get the, the one thing I'll say and the one excuse I'll give the Vancouver people is that they did battle for years to get their waterfront stadium built. And for those that don't know that story, because it's been a while now, uh, basically they were going to pay for it too. Kerfoot was going to pay for the whole damn thing and it got blocked by basically local NIMBY groups. By that, condo people. They wanted to build it, condos instead. Anyway, it was ridiculous. So – I get that they they should have been better, and I just I, it's shameful and to me it's un, it's a, it's a shame, not shameful. It's a shame that uh, there's still not a fight there to get them out of BC Place because it is not a good environment in my opinion. It's just it's not. I've never enjoyed watching games there, and I know that, that I'm being troll boy right now. I just haven't. It's it's a track meet in there because of the surface, and I get that, and it's the right tactic to play. I just don't. I don't find it entertaining at all. I know others do, so teach their own. But to me, I don't get it. And you're never going to get a top NDP out there, and you kind of need one, as you saw on the weekend, to compete in this league nowadays. If you want to win to be, a, if you want to just make the playoffs and finish fifth, sixth, and maybe get the odd home date every three or four years, then you'll be fine. 
But if you actually want to compete for a championship, you're going to need to, to attract your Robbie Keens, your Dempsey's, dare I say it, your Altidores as well. And you're not going to get them to come in on that pitch. I was surprised to read the amount of DPs that was in the league this weekend. If I'm not mistaken, 47 to 48 DPs are in Major League Soccer right now, which were long gone from just David Beckham. Yeah, it's no longer the Beckham rule. Nobody even really calls it that anymore. Different levels of DPs, though, too, right? Yeah. You have you have your DPs, and then you have your DPs. And <laughs> yeah, especially this year with the um, I got the Toronto ones, like Altador, Javinko, the Kaká, the Vila. It's a different breed this year, too. Absolutely. And like I said, if you're going to, you know, there, for a long time, a lot of people that believed in the small market model and, and like this, the Salt Lake model kind of, they'd, they'd argue that, oh, there's, well, there was. For a while, there wasn't a DP champion, but that has changed completely, especially now that there's three. When there used to only be one, yeah, it made a difference. That was back in the day, when Beckham came in, too, you got to appreciate that the cap was under $2 million at the time, too, because you have $2 million and $350,000 being taken up by one player. Yeah, it, it was a hard to build the roster around that. But now when it's up over $3 million and you have three of them you can play with and you have the young DP rule and there's lots of different things there. You absolutely have to have them and every team sort of recognizes that. But I would make the further argument that not only do you have to have a DP now, you have to have a big name DP if you're truly going to be a championship contending team. Um, I guess my final my final thought on that is, is, is that me saying that Toronto FC is a championship contending team? It's too early to say that. But Yeah, because a, Montreal have one too around the 30-year-old Piatti, and I don't think Montreal's a contender yet. So, Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Um, thanks for, uh, Daniel, again, coming on. Uh, have a listen to our, uh, our fundraising efforts there, guys. And until that time, until tomorrow when we come back with Five Rings and, and next week when we come back with this, uh, Kevin, say goodbye. Patreon.com slash Two Solitudes, Five Rings. And until next time, have a great soccer.